So like Pastor Ben said, this morning we're going to study, in God's Word, one of the most important events in the entire Old Testament. It's the Passover. The Passover. Now, one reason the Passover is so important is because God had promised to make the people of Israel into a great nation who would be taken to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and through them to bring the Messiah to the earth. The Messiah whose death would pay for the sins of all those who trust him from every nation, tongue, and tribe, and bring us into the all-satisfying joy of knowing God, our Father. So all that's at stake here, but when we see the first chapters of Exodus, God's people are slaves in Egypt, and had been so for hundreds of years. But on Passover night, God sets them free. That's one reason the Passover is one of the most important events in the Old Testament. But there's an even bigger reason why it's so important. It's because the Passover is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Powerful scripture. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. He says, cleanse out the old leaven. That's a picture of sin. We'll talk about that next week. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Now get this next line. Here's why. For Christ, our Passover lamb, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. He is the Passover lamb, and he's been sacrificed for us. So, what does that mean? And, and what does that teach us? That's what we're going to look at in today's passage. Exodus chapter 11 and 12. Turn there into your Bibles. We'll have it on the screen, but you need your own Bible open. You can scribble on it and make notes. Exodus chapter 11 and 12. Now, the passage starts off by setting the stage for us about what's going to happen in the Passover. So let's raise that question. How does the author set the stage for the Passover? Start with verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Now think about it. God had brought upon Egypt nine horrifying plagues up to this point. But Pharaoh had been stubborn stubborn, and refused to let God's people go. But now God says, there will be one more plague, one more, and then he will let you all go. And this plague won't be worked by Moses or Aaron stretching out their staff. This plague will take place from God himself moving upon Egypt with his judgment. And as a result, Pharaoh will let the people go. Then verse 2. 
Speak now in the hearing of the people, people of Israel, that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Think about it. For hundreds of years, Israel had been slaves in Egypt, but God has them ask their neighbors for gold and silver, and God will give them favor in their eyes. So Israel is going to leave with the gold and silver that they need, especially to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. We also read here that all the people of Egypt, think about this, all the people of Egypt, including Pharaoh's servants, greatly honored Moses. So what will this tenth and last plague be? Verse 4. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt. God's going to go out in about midnight. And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl, who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. So at midnight, God is going to go through the land of Egypt and kill all the firstborn in the land. Now, that would have included grandfathers who had been the firstborn, husbands and fathers who'd been the firstborn, sons who'd been the firstborn. This would have been absolutely devastating and heartbreaking. So much so that that some of us might be troubled that God would do this. Troubled. But let me remind you, like I said last week, that God never harms innocent people. The reason I say that is because all of us, all of Egypt, all of us, every human being has knowingly and willfully sinned against God. We've known from creation, Romans 1 tells us, who God is. He's glorious, faithful, good, loving. He's my greatest joy, this, a being who would create bodies and, and, and a world like this. And yet, as Romans 1 says, we've all turned our backs on God towards money or towards other religions or towards fame. We've all knowingly and willfully sinned against God, and, and we all, therefore, deserve instant death and eternal punishment thereafter. But now, what if in that group of firstborns that were killed, what if there were some newborn babies firstborn that were killed? Now, we aren't sure exactly at what age a child is old enough to sin. Like the first time they say, mine, right? Or no to mom or dad. We we aren't sure it varies from child to child. That's why we want to start telling them about Jesus from the very beginning before they even understand what we're saying. But surely, newborns have not reached that age, right? So even if there were newborns in this group, their deaths would not be punishment because the moment they die, they're going to be in heaven, welcomed into God's loving arms, and they are going to be full of joy forever in his presence. None of the newborns who died that night 
wish that they were back on earth once they've seen and beheld God in all of his glory. I guarantee you that. So the point I want you just to rest in is that God is not unjust in anything that he does here. God is never, ever unjust. And he's not here. Keep reading in verse 6. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So God wants Pharaoh and Egypt to know there's a distinction between Egypt and between Israel. The Egyptians are going to be crying out, lamenting, grieving in sorrow. It's going to be heartbreaking. But the Israelites will experience peace and calm. Not even a dog is going to be growling. Just peace and calm amongst the Israelites. Verse 8. And all these your servants, your servants, Pharaoh, all these your servants shall come down to me, Moses, and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, Pharaoh, I will go out. And he, Moses, went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Think about it. For years, Israel had been wanting to leave. This night, they will be able to leave. And Moses goes out angry, in hot anger, probably because of all the pain that Pharaoh has caused Israel, of course, obviously, and his people, the people of Egypt. And then in verses 9 and 10, to help us feel how amazing it is that Israel's going to be freed, the author reminds us of what had happened in, in, in previous with the previous plagues. Verse 9, Then the Lord said, or it could be translated, had said, the Hebrew allows that, Then the Lord had said in the past to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's what had happened before. And he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. So the author wants to remind us of that so that we will be amazed at how dramatic this change is now when God does change Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh does allow them finally to leave. Okay, so verses 1 through 10 set the stage for the Passover. And now the next section in chapter 12, God gives instructions to the people of Israel about how they are to celebrate the Passover. And, and in this section, there's a weaving together both of the instructions for that night while they're in Egypt, and instructions for the years to come when they will celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So what should Israel do regarding the Passover? Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. In other words, the Passover is so important in Israel's history that as God is going to restructure their calendar around it. So this month in which the Passover takes place, this is now going to be the first month of the year to remind Israel of the Passover. Verse 3, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household, 
And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. So each household, take a lamb, unblemished lamb, one year old, kill it at twilight, and then take the blood and apply it to the doorpost, which is the vertical beams, and the lintel, which is the horizontal beam at the top, like painting your door frame with the blood of the lamb. Next, then, we have the Passover meal described, verse 8. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So they're to eat it quickly, and they are dressed, ready to leave at a moment's notice. That's the Passover meal. Then verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. This is going to bring judgment upon all the gods of Egypt. Because it will be plain as day that none of them could do anything to stop Yahweh, the true God. Showing that none of them are gods at all. There's only one God. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, just one side comment here. Some people have understood no plague will befall you to mean that no sickness will ever come upon any believer in Jesus Christ. That's not what this passage is saying. In the context, the no plague is the killing of the firstborn sons, right? That's what's being talked about here. That will not happen to anyone who has the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of the, the house. So just feel what's going on here. God is going to come upon Egypt with judgment. But when he sees a house whose doors, frame, post, lintel, painted with the blood of the lamb, he will pass over that house. His judgment will not come upon that house because he sees the blood that's there. Now here's a question I want you to think about. What if you were an Israelite who didn't believe all this about the, the blood on the doorposts? What if you just ignored what God had said, had a nice quiet dinner with your family at home, no blood on the doorposts, the lintel, 
What would happen? What would happen? Look again at what God said in, in that verse, verse 13. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, don't miss this. The reason he passed over these homes was not because they were Israelites. That made no difference. The reason he passed over the homes was because the blood of the lamb was there. This is so crucial for us to understand. If you did not have the blood of the lamb on your doorposts, you would not escape God's judgment. And I want to make that point because the same is true for us today. Like I read earlier, Jesus is the Passover lamb. And if we are not connected to Jesus by faith, then we will not escape God's judgment. But if we are connected to Jesus Christ by faith, God's wrath will always pass over us and never, ever, ever land upon us. It doesn't make any difference what home you were born in, what nationality you are. It doesn't make any difference if you were baptized at one point or that you go to church every Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, whatever day it is. None of those make any difference. Is the blood on your doorpost and your lintel? Are you connected to Jesus Christ by faith? That's all that matters. So are you? Are you? Are you connected to Jesus by faith? How could you tell? It's because in your heart, you know you've sinned against God. You don't whitewash it or make excuses for it. You don't call it a mistake. It's rebellion. You know it. You know that you can do nothing to make up for it. You deserve God's judgment. You can't make yourself good enough. You know, in other words, that you desperately need a Savior. You feel that in your heart. I need a Savior. And you know that God sent Jesus as the Savior, that Jesus left the glories of heaven, like we sang about earlier, lowered himself to become a baby born here, grew up and humbled himself to be killed on the ghastly cross. And then he rose again. And his death pays for the sins of all who trust him. And so you know you've sinned. You know you desperately need a Savior. You see Jesus as the Savior. And because you see him as Savior, glorious, loving, merciful, kind, compassionate, you trust him to forgive all of your sins. You submit to him. Because you trust him, you submit to him as your Lord. And you are delighting in him as your all-satisfying treasure. If that's in your heart, you're connected to Jesus by faith. If you're not sure that's in your heart, turn and trust him now. Right now. Trust him. He's standing before you with his arms wide open. That's why you're here this morning. He says, come, I will forgive you. I will change your heart. I will show you my love and my goodness. You don't feel spiritual enough? Not a problem. You come. I will make you spiritual. I will change you. I will fill you with my love. I will trans- You'll become a new creation in me. Come as you are, as we always have sung in the past. So, listen, please listen. Every one of us here in this room, we are either 
under the blood of the Lamb, or we're not. There's no sort of, or almost, or a little bit. You are, or you aren't. Are you? Are you? You can. He loves you. He's ready. Trust him. Trust him. Then, verses 14 through 20, here's how Israel should celebrate the Passover in the future. Verse 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about the importance of leaven and unleavened and what it means to be cut off from Israel. So that's next week. Hold off on that. Verse 16, on the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts, the people of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses." If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. So every year, from that point on, the people of Israel would celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then, verses 21 through 28, Moses gives instruction to the elders. Verse 21, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, it's a little tree, little bush branches, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people, when they heard this, bowed their heads and worshipped. Right? Can you feel that? Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So that's the instruction that's given to Israel. Then, the last part of this passage answers the question, so what does God do? 
What does he do? Verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and, and be gone, and, and bless me also. Hmm. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We should all be dead if Israel doesn't leave. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. This is over a million people. A mixed multitude also went up with them. Some Egyptians. We know who the true God is. Maybe they were saying, we're coming. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. And the author brings all this to a conclusion. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. Wow! It's a long time. But God had promised to free Israel, to take them to the land flowing with milk and honey, to bring the Messiah forth from them. And that's what God did. Verse 41, at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord. He was watching over his people to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So the same night as a night of watching kept to the Lord. The people are remembering what he did, worshiping, thanking. A night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Wow. So, Grace Church, what does this mean for us? Think about it. From, from that point on, every year, the people of Israel would celebrate the Passover meal. They would eat the lamb, eat the unleavened bread, and the bitter herbs every year. Now, travel forward in time, hundreds of years, to Jerusalem, where Jesus, with the 12 disciples, is in the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal. Okay? They eat the lamb. They eat the unleavened bread. They eat the bitter herbs. But then Jesus does something different. He takes some of the bread. He says, this is my body, broken for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Broken for you, speaking of the cross. Then he takes the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which would be poured out on the cross. Poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and the point is that Jesus wants them to understand that all along, the Passover was pointing ahead to what Jesus would do on the cross. And a few hours later, and into the next day, Jesus allowed himself to be betrayed and arrested, allowed himself to be beaten, scourged with the 39 horrible lashes that the Romans used. He allowed himself to be nailed to the cross. Jesus is the Passover lamb. We've all been slaves of sin. Slaves. Sin's guilt and sin's power have chained us. And there was nothing we could do to get free. But Jesus is the Passover lamb. His blood, his death on the cross has paid for the guilt of all who trust him. And so now we are on the road to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And we're fighting the fight to stay on the road ourselves. We are encouraging our brothers and sisters, keep on the road, Don't, you're drifting, come on back, let's get back on the road. We're seeking to bring people onto the road from every nation and tongue and tribe, especially in this city bringing people onto the road to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And now we want to worship him by celebrating that last supper, communion, together. So if you could just take your little plastic, and I would encourage to start by taking the very top part off or getting close because... It can be a little, at least I have a hard time, a little clumsy. It can be a little difficult. So just get that ready. And I want to I pray and ask Jesus to help us now so that we would see more clearly maybe than ever before Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, our crucified Savior. We were slaves and we are freed. So let me pray for us that God will come and help us. Lord, I ask that you'd pour out your spirit upon us right now. And that you would touch each of our hearts with exactly what we need. Lord, those who are here who are not yet trusting Jesus, Lord, right now, change their hearts. Let them see you with your arms wide open, calling them to come, that you will do everything that's necessary. You will change them, forgive them, fill them. Oh, Lord, draw people right now to yourself. Lord, I pray for those who need to be convicted of some area of sin. Lord, we welcome that. Come, we want to know. Show us. Lord, those who are weary from fighting, suffering, trials, temptations, Lord, comfort them as we celebrate communion together. Pour your love into their hearts, Lord. Father, those who are weary from serving you, 
obedience, ministry, sharing the gospel. Lord, strengthen them. Let them feel your smile as we celebrate communion together. And Lord, I pray that you pour out a fresh assurance on all of us who are trusting you that we are forgiven. We are forgiven. The chains are left behind us. We are on the road to the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. Lord, pour that out upon us now, I pray. In Jesus' name. So let's take the bread. Jesus said, this bread is my body, broken. Oh, it was going to be broken. Broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and partake. Okay, then let's open up the cup. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out on the cross, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink. We worship you, Jesus Christ. Passover lamb, freer deliverer of slaves. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.